Hello, and welcome to Teferit Talk. I'm Melissa Studdard, and this is the Blog Talk Radio Show for Teferit, a journal of spiritual literature, where we publish writings and engage in dialogue to promote peace in the individual and in the world. We're thrilled that you're with us right now, and we would love for you to also join our global online community. You can find it at www.teferitjournal.com. There, in addition to interacting with other members, reading their writings, and posting your own, you can subscribe to the journal, which in each issue presents beautiful, spiritually and intellectually compelling poetry, prose, and art. This evening's guest is Krista Tippett. Tippett is the author of two best-selling books and host of the award-winning program On Being, which is currently broadcast on more than 200 public radio stations in the United States and globally, and which explores the intersection between great religious ideas and true human experience. Tippett's first book, Speaking of Faith, presents the cumulative wisdom of her interviews in a memoir which covers the many facets of religion in our time, as well as Tippett's move from geopolitical engagement to theology. Of Speaking of Faith, author Elizabeth Gilbert says, her intelligence is like a salve for all who have been wounded or marginalized by the God wound. Tippett's most recent book, Einstein's God, illuminates the nexus of science and spirituality and illustrates some of the important ways on being and Tippett's vision have continued to evolve. Of Einstein's God, Jonah Lehrer says, in this sparkling book of interviews, Krista Tippett demonstrates that science and religion both benefit from a genuine dialogue. It doesn't matter if Tippett is talking about free will or the anatomy of the soul. She is always probing, measured, and illuminating. This book is a hopeful reminder that the intellectual conflicts we take for granted don't need to exist. Krista, welcome. Oh, thank you, Melissa. It's great to be with you. And thank you for oh, that introduction. Like, oh, you're most welcome. It's to have you here. Um, I wanted to you could start by talking about the beginning of your career. And I know you were a journalist, but what drew you to journalism in the first place and then led you to diplomacy and then to a life of deep conversation and the exploration of vital questions and ideas? It's a big question. I, I, uh, and I think I was actually. I think I was. I grew up in a very small town in Oklahoma, in a, you know, in a in a world that didn't have much of a view of the outside. And and when I got out, I I think I was really drawn to. Uh, yeah, I I wanted it all. I wanted that that whole drama of life. I was. I was always interested in politics, and uh, I was also raised in a very religious uh, community. Um, but I, you know, I think in, in my college years, I became convinced that politics was really where it was happening, and where where the important questions were playing themselves out, and that 
that engaging on a political level uh, would be my way of engaging with what was truly important. You know, that eventually led me to Divided Berlin, which uh, was kind of a fault line of the of the world geopolitically at that time, and it was absolutely fascinating. But as I as the end of the 80s drew near, kind of, and I was moving to my late 20s, um, I, I started to ask questions which I eventually understood to be spiritual questions. I, I, I started asking, again, these questions of meaning and, and whether working at that high political level um, was really where I wanted to be putting my energy. I was very fascinated by the human drama of, of life in divided Berlin. It was kind of a great social experiment. You had, you know, you literally had two worlds on, on, on both sides of that wall in Berlin. But the thing that I observed, uh, you know, which is, is so simple that we often don't put this into words is, you know, it, it, in the end, um, I saw that people could be living under so many different conditions, but 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 the cho- the choice was still there for people to make of their life what they could and i saw people who had a great deal handed to them on the western side of the wall and um you know their lives were were kind of empty and and unreflected and i saw people on the eastern side of the wall who had very little but who crafted lives of great intimacy and dignity and and so that started me thinking in a in a deep way about what i wanted to do with my life Great, thank you. You know, um, one of the things that struck me the most about your book, Speaking of Faith, is that you are so intrinsically engaged with the world and other people that your memoir is actually a chronicle of ideas and history and conversations with other people, almost like the whole world is your most intimate community. And um, I thought that was so unusual and so beautiful. Um, I'm not really sure what my question is. Maybe, um, you know, how can people be more that way? I know I'm not that way as much as you are. How did you come to <laughs> to care so much, I guess? Oh, it's such an interesting question, and I don't know if I've, if I've thought about myself in that way. As I say, for me, the, the, the world in all its complexity was just this great discovery at 18 <laughs> when I went to college. You know, it was almost like I went to Mars. I mean, I, it was almost like I went to another <laughs> planet. Um, and, and I just, I, I wanted to explore it and, and, and I always had an impatience with things that, um, but but I you know and I loved I loved the life of the mind you know that was a great gift because I really didn't that wasn't something that was nurtured um, in the world of my childhood and and so it was a great thrill to have my own mind be um, be energized and and captivated but I was always impatient uh, still at the same time with with ideas um, that 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 didn't have an application and so you know when I when I found myself to be becoming religious again in my late twenties and and um, spiritually curious and and thinking of you know I I started as I say asking these big questions but it, it took me a while before I started calling that you know meditation or contemplation or prayer um, but that's what I was doing but it was really important to me then that 
that if I was going to take religion seriously in myself and in the world, that it, it had to be relevant um, in the face of all that complexity that I'd experienced, especially in divided Berlin. So, and I, so I don't, I don't know how I explain that. It's, it's, it's just, it's, it's been kind of what's driven me for a long time. Wow. <laughs> you know, you, you began by talking about um, the life of the mind. And um, in speaking of faith, you said that one of the things that um, about becoming wiser about spiritual things is learning to live in your body, not just your head. Yes, and that's right. I find it kind of interesting in light of what you just said. So I, I wanted to see if you could elaborate on that a little bit. Well, I think that has been um, my further spiritual evolution. It, my spiritual evolution has been about getting out of my head a little bit more and, uh, you know, being less cerebral and being more embodied. Um, and I think this is a move that a lot of people are making. I think that in the West, in Western culture, and even in Western religion, um, you know, we made these things a very chin-up experience, right? I mean, you think about about um, church, you know, became a place where you sit on an uncomfortable pew and you sit up straight and, you know, it wasn't interactive. And, you know, you, 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 you hear a monologue. I mean, that's, that's like obviously a caricature. But, but, but religion across human history, and I mean the whole sweep of human history, it's always been a cathartic place, you know, physically as well as intellectually. You know, emotionally, it was a place where people sang and danced and laughed and cried. And we we kind of, you know, you can trace this in all kinds of ways. I I think this, you know, the line of Descartes, um, I think, therefore I am, which which is really an idea that penetrated Western civilization is such an impoverishment of who we are. And and so, you know, as I embarked on this journey of the last 10 years of being in conversation with people across the spectrum of, um, you know, spiritual experience and, and even, you know, even people who don't consider themselves spiritual but who I, I think are, are asking questions of meaning and, and, and shedding light on, on our common understanding of what it means to be human, you know, as I've embarked on that journey, um, I I also find this very vibrant connection between spiritual ideas that are powerful and and um and pe- people and experiences that are embodied. You know, it's 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 Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel marching with Martin Luther King in Selma and saying, "I feel like my legs are praying." You know, it's it's wow. it's images it, it's images that a lot of us, a lot of us in the 21st century are as aware as maybe human beings have ever been before of our place in the cosmos and kind of of the wonder of ourselves and the universe through the images that are coming to us through the Hubble Space Telescope. You know, it's, it's that there is some very mysterious but incredibly powerful connection between uh, spiritual, spiritual, what do I want to say? Spiritual life and physical reality. And I think somehow we forgot that 
as a culture in in the West, certainly for a couple hundred years, and we're remembering it. And you know, one of the, the you know the, the the demonstrations of that remembering are are the yoga studios on every corner now. You know, it's the upsurge in 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 meditation. Um, it's all the ways people are. I think it's even just exercise, the way people are getting back into their bodies, and whether they know it or not. I think that is an adjunct, and it's that is nurturing also. Um, our spiritual lives and I just think we're getting more and more we're going to become more smarter and smarter about that mm, wonderful um, you say in Einstein's God that whereas the scientific emphasis on what can be measured once took humanity away from a seriousness about spiritual and emotional aspects of human vitality it's now bringing us back and um, I think I just fell in love with that. <laughs> I wanted to yes. some examples of what you mean by this. Well, you know, I when I started my show t- ten years ago in the early two thousands, I, I if you had told me then that I would in, that scientists would be just you know just an absolute staple of my life of conversation, I, 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 that's something that I think would have really stunned me. It's not something I knew in the beginning. Um, but those have become such important conversations to me. And I, I really do see, I've seen a development over, even over the last 10 years, which is a pretty short period of time, um, from this idea that that has you know, that's been around for a couple hundred years that, that's, that science and religion and even kind of science and, and, and spiritual life, science and, 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 I don't know, the humanity of things are somehow very separate and at times at odds. I'm, you know, I've seen that softening. But even more interestingly, I, I am just so fascinated by the way science now um, and again, this has picked up just in the last, you know, 10 years, is beginning to take seriously, to take into the laboratory um, the spiritual technologies of the ages, you know, the virtues, uh, the practices that our spiritual traditions have carried forward in time. You know, science is studying compassion and empathy and forgiveness um, and and that is that is just completely fascinating. There's a sense in which uh, science is mapping out some of the great questions of of who we are and what it means to be human uh, in a way that philosophy and theology did in previous generations. It's shining a whole new light on these things. Oh well, you know, you said um, also. I heard you this phrase, life of conversation, and it's something that has come up over and over in my reading of your work, and I think it's just such a wonderful way to describe what you do, not to say an interviewer or I'm a host, a life of conversation, which tells me, obviously, that this is not a job to you, this is your life's work, um, and I just wanted to ask, what has it meant to you personally to live this way, immersed in this exchange of ideas and great thoughts? Um, it's, you know, it's a, it's a path that I, 
that I kind of created for myself, but I didn't know that I was creating it in the beginning. <laughs> and and it's a wonderful thing. Um, I I also though I was just having a conversation today with someone, um, a young woman who who was talking about her desire, which of course we all share to be to be leading a life of meaning and you know to to make as direct a connection um, as possible between her work and her deepest values and you know i am aware that i'm very fortunate for that connection to be so overt in what i do and it's true of you as well right we this is a gift mm-hmm. but but i also said to her <laughs> that um i really think in terms of vocation um I, 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 I really encourage especially younger people to think in terms of vocation rather than just career path. And, and I, and I don't think vocation necessarily equates with the work you're doing, you know, for many people. And I, and I, I think vocation is something so much bigger and more generous and more complex and that it's been wrong, um, in this culture to, to equate those things so closely. You know, and I think at times in anybody's life, and it's true of me too, you know, at times, um, my most important vocation, um, is, is, is my, my energy I'm spending as a parent, you know. And, uh, this particular young woman I was speaking with, you know, she has a job that, it's a good job, um, she doesn't feel like it represents her values, but she has this very rich life of community service. And I just said, you know, that, is just as worthy, right? That matters too. Yeah. And I think yeah. that we, right? So I, so I'm, I'm, I'm saying at one of the same time, I, I'm, I, I am grateful for this gift. And then, but, but, but I also, I, I don't think that, uh, I think there are many ways to be leading a life of meaning and purpose and, and the job is just one possibility there. And, and the other thing is that, um, my work, uh, yes, there's this piece of it. There's the life of conversation piece of it. And that's, you know, maybe 10% of what I do. <laughs> and, mm. there, you know, and, and in addition to that, as with any work, I, I, I have money to raise. I have office politics, right? Um, I have all the, I have the struggles to, to put my energy you know, where I wanted to put it, I have the struggle of balancing home life and work life. So I have all of those same issues. You know, I can be buried in admin. I can be buried in email. So, you know, life is life. And, uh, and I, I get nervous if I, when I feel like people, you know, would look at, look at my, my path and think that, you know, somehow I've, I've gotten it all right because it still ends up being a human endeavor and, uh, and it's always a complicated picture. You know, I'm so glad you said that because I was thinking earlier, oh, she's so lucky. She she hosts yeah. the radio and she gets to talk to all these people. And I do that, but I'm also teaching and writing and being a single mom and doing all these things. And, you know, now hearing you say it, um, it just makes you all the more inspiring to me, really, to see how you balance everything and how you continue um, to do that. So thank you for that. And it, it's um, something that, that you said that I really liked in one of the books, and I can't remember which one it was, but you were talking about how spiritual geniuses 
are also really these flawed human beings. Yes. And they're actually great in the context of this, not in spite of it. Um, and I thought that was really wonderful. Oh, that's so important. I, you know, that, that phrase spiritual genius, I, I love that. That, that comes from Einstein. It's one of the, one of the things that he talked about that doesn't come down in history the way his scientific achievements did. He was very dismayed by, um, by scientists in his age, you know. He, he, he really, religion, science was really, he really had a religious reverence for science and, he also believed that the international community of scientists should transcend national boundaries and tribal hostilities. And then he watched scientists become the creators of weapons of mass destruction. And, and he said at one point um, that science in his generation had become like a razor blade in the hands of a three-year-old. And, you know, in that context, against that backdrop, he was looking at the world and moving through life and, Gandhi was his contemporary and, and he, you know, he said that he really believed that lives like those of, like of spiritual geniuses like Gandhi or Jesus or Buddha or Moses or Saint Francis of Assisi, um, that these were lives of spiritual genius and that, 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 that this, that they were as necessary to the dignity, security and, and joy of humanity as the purveyors of objective knowledge. And, you know, there are those spiritual geniuses, you know, the, the names who come to mind immediately. I'm sure he might have added Martin Luther King Jr. or Mother Teresa. Um, uh, they're also the spiritual geniuses of the everyday. And the thing about that that's just, again, so important for us to all hold on to is um, none of those people, not the... The famous ones who we know about, you know, they were all real human beings. And they had all kinds of struggles and they had all kinds of flaws. And spiritual genius comes out of how you wrestle with darkness as much as how much light you bring into the world. And and it's also true of the spiritual geniuses of the everyday. Any of us, you know, if we think about who is who are those wise people we've known in our lives up close. And 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 the reality that we that we know up close if we really knew them as human beings is is, is also not about perfection and that is not disappointing <laughs> it is emboldening no. right it's no, a source of hope and sustenance <laughs> i agree so much you know um also i like how how you said that um it's actually a kind of an irony that the people who are living to the deepest um, according to the deepest virtues of religious and spiritual traditions are often not the ones who are standing in front of the microphone or waiting to be photographed doing what they do. Um, and there right. is for the most of us to, to seek them out and, and find their stories. Um, I'm wondering how do you go about finding these people? So... That's a question I, I get asked a lot because something I'm committed to on my show is is not just interviewing the the famous people, you know, the biggest names, mm-hmm. and and it's not that I never do that. In in fact, sometimes I've I've been scornful of people who are too 
well known, and then I, you know, I've been wrong, right? Because there's a reason. <laughs> there's a reason that a Desmond Tutu is a Desmond Tutu, right? But, but, but I really try, you know, as a as a core value to 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 invite in voices that you know that that layer of goodness and that is just below the the cultural radar. Now, um, you know, again, the spiritual geniuses of the everyday whether it's their local community or their state or their profession, you know, these are people who are imprinting lots of lives. You know, they're making a difference. But but they may just be too busy with that important work to be good self-promoters, right? Or maybe they don't write books because they're doing other things. Um, right. And so, but, but you do, you know, the, the people who write, books, the people who are good self-promoters, the people who are fortunate enough to to get the right kind of publicity or to know how to seek the right kind of publicity, they're, they're out there, you know, and uh, it, it's not actually, I don't think it's hard to find this, this other layer, but, but it does require an effort, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's looking, it's listening, it's reading, um, it, it, you know, when I when people ask, uh, you know, how do we find the people in the show? It's it's a very unscientific process. It's 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 something that, that's constantly going on, um, and it you know it has happened by picking up a book at off a table at Barnes and Noble that nobody sent me, no publicist sent me, but you know seeing saying this is somebody I have. Um, to, to people telling us about, I'm sure this happens to you, you know, you know, there, everybody out there, uh, knows of these voices and these lives that deserve more attention. Um, so, you know, we, we get a lot of, you know, people, people send ideas and, um, and I don't, you know, sometimes it's years, but, but they don't, they don't get lost. And then it's interesting how, how a name will suddenly surface and it's, it's the right time. You know, the world is so complicated. It's it's also not a... I, I, I think even 30, 20 or 30 years ago, when we were all more or less uh, watching the same television, reading the same publications, um, it was easier to... You know, it was easier to see some things there were there were more monolithic figures but now there are all these worlds within the world right there are all these communities there are all these professions um and now there are all these online communities and you know little 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 galaxies and and each of those has its leaders and its visionary figures and its nurturing figures so so part of it is just um keeping your ear to the ground in these kinds of spaces that are not out on the surface of the culture. But I'm kind of wandering because, as I said, it's not scientific. I, I do believe that if you start asking a question or if you if you start exercising a discipline, you know, I, 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 use, I, I really like this biblical phrase, developing eyes to see and ears to hear. I mean, that's, that's an intention for me. And if you, if you set an intention like that, you know, you you move through the world differently, and and the world meets you there. It really does. Um, 
and one of the things I also really like about what you said is that um, you're not just saying that it's a responsibility of journalists, but also the word citizens in there. So um, to hear you say this now, to hear you talk about setting the intention, I think is instructive kind of on how to do that, you know? Um, also, it, it makes me think about uh, how the conversations that you have really can actually be used as models for other people to have more types of conversations. And I'm, I'm not necessarily talking about on the radio, but just in their lives to have conversations that, um, that encourage understanding, compassion, respectful living, you know, perverting difference. Um, and I'm wondering, do you have any advice on, on how people can foster having those conversations in their own lives in a way that, that can help them personally? This is a, this is an important question that I'm asking myself right now. I, nothing makes me happier than, than when people say that that's the effect the show has for them. And, um, you know, we've been, experimenting the last couple of years with something we call the Civil Conversations Project. And 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 it started as just um, it was a series of radio shows like the radio shows we do, but with a with a special lens of saying, you know, we're at this moment where so many of us feel discouraged and alienated even from our own public life, our common life. And we don't recognize a place for ourselves in the way the debates are framed or the issues are framed or the way uh, problems are resolved. And I think a lot of people have just gotten kind of defeated and paralyzed and turned inward. But there's an anguish because we care and we want to engage and we, we want to be part of of how we collectively take up, you know, these great challenges of our time, which are practical and spiritual. Um, so so the, the Civil Conversations um, shows have been conversations with that in mind. But but what you're saying, this question of, you know, how do how can people do this themselves is that that's what that's that's what comes up. And and people say, you know, it's very it's inspiring to hear this and yeah I, i'm so i mean again there's nothing that could make me happier for somebody to say that we model something um and they've asked um you know how could we help them start something in their own community so so this is a question that we're pondering as a project i think the most important thing i can say is um is 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 just to have that um, that commitment to begin, right? I, I, the way people used to frame the question 10 years ago, and I really feel this is changing, is people used to say to me, how can we change politics and journalism, right? How can we affect the media? And how, what can we do so that politics isn't so broken and so that this is healthy again? And, you know, those are big questions and I, I, I actually, especially in journalism, I see a lot of good things happening under the radar. I mean, I mean, whether it's for good or for bad, the one thing we know is it will change, right? These things will change because that's the way, that's the way life goes. But, but this matter of all of us bringing ourselves, bringing our passion and our integrity and our care into our public spaces in a new way 
is too important to wait for politics to change or for media to change, right? And mm-hmm. public life is bigger than politics. Public life, you know, is, 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 is everything. I mean, it's not just politics. So, so I think the most important thing is to resolve to, you know, to start having those conversations that you want to be hearing. Um, it's obviously, it's a great big subject, but, you know, just, just one core value, I think, in approaching that is, uh, hospitality. You know, how mm. can you cultivate spaces of hospitality so that new possibilities might arise? And I like hospitality as the starting virtue. It's a, it's a virtue that's across, you know, all the great spiritual traditions. Um, but what I like, what I think is really important about hospitality is it's much more doable, immediately practical than something like compassion or forgiveness or love, right? <laughs> I mean, right. hospitality is something that we could all start with. And it me, it does not mean you have to agree with the people who you're inviting into this space. It doesn't mean that you have to, you know, love them. It doesn't even mean, you know, I think part of the, we, we have work to do getting in the same space with people for whom we don't know how to feel compassion, right? Mm-hmm. And, right. and part of what we have to do is be honest about that and let, but, but, but I believe we can create hospitable spaces where, where that reality can be true, but these spaces are designed to help us discover you know, each other as human beings, just that. And through that, um, find ways to walk forward, to live together differently, even if that means we never disagree. You know, we never, you know, are on the same page. Um, but, but even if we're not on the same page on the issues that divide us or the, you know, the orientations that divide us, um, you know, we may be raising children all of us in this world. You know, we, there, there are plenty of things we can work on together, but, but we have to create hospitable spaces. And I mean, I mean, physically safe. I mean, intellectually hospitable, you know, um, we have, we have to, there, there are some prerequisites and that, and that's one of them. And again, what I like about it is that it's so doable. You talk about the importance of asking seemingly unanswerable questions, and Mm -hmm. I kind of want to preface this question with that because I think it may be totally unanswerable, but I want to ask you anyway because I just want to hear what your thoughts are. And um, you talk about um, religion, obviously, Um, and what I want to know is what do you think that, religion can do in the world that it's not currently doing? Um, or, or maybe another way to say it is our experience of religion or the way we're acting religion in order to align it more with its purpose. Um, I think that religion's deepest, that, 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 our, that our traditions are repositories of the virtues that we need now in a globalized world in a way that we've never needed them before. Um, you know, our religious traditions were the earliest places where human beings began to consider that 
it might be important and life-giving to consider the well-being of those who don't belong to your family, who don't belong to your tribe, right? That there was some meaning in service beyond that. But in a sense, that's been kind of optional. You know, it's been a choice human beings could make or choose not to make. But the way the world works now with technology, with, you know, what we're learning about the environment, with interconnected economies, um, we have a proximity and a relationship to people so different from us, right? Like a, 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 a proximity to different others that is unprecedented in human history. And in fact, you know, our survival depends on those relationships. And our religious traditions, you know, by having these centuries of contemplation of things like compassion and empathy, care for the stranger, uh, at their cores, they, they ha- those are precisely the virtues that we as human beings need to call- to really, really internalize and put into action, that our well-being is linked to that of others and that we can make that real. Um, you know, and here's where, where it's interesting too because because science, you know, the science of the brain is showing us that in fact, yes, we do have the capacity to become more compassionate, uh, to for, to, to be forgiving rather than, uh, rather than violent. But that, but that these are qualities that have to be cultivated. And that's where mm-hmm. you see the genius of our traditions because, because what they have, what they have, uh, you know, look at, look at Buddhism which has, which has for thousands of years, you know, uh, developed these spiritual technologies for, for, for becoming mindful, you know, or, um, you know, ritual, right? I heard the chief rabbi of Great Britain say, um, you know, that, that the importance of ritual is, uh, is, 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 is being vindicated by the cutting edge neuroscience, right? Because it's, it's practice. It's what we do over and over and over again that forms us, right? right. And so, so there's this beautiful convergence of our traditions having what the world needs. And that's not about evangelism. You know, that's not about pe- needing to convert people. That's about putting this into action for the sake of the world, which is so, which is so faithful, right? Which is so true mm-hmm. to the heart mm-hmm. of our traditions. Um, and uh, it couldn't be in a greater contrast to the worst caricature of religion that's out there as something that divides and creates violence, right? So, and that, and that, 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 those divisions and that violence, that, that, that doesn't represent most people of faith or, uh, you know, of, of, of deep practice. It, it, it never does. But what the world needs is for the deep practitioners to, to mine what they know, you know, to dig more deeply into the core of these traditions and, and make that more present in the world. I think it's a, fascinating possibility mm, me too me too that's beautiful um i think that's a wonderful place to end too so um in closing 
I'd like to ask what's next for you and do you have any publications or events or anything coming up that you'd like to announce that you think we may not already know about? Um, well, you you invited me to put something on your website, and I'd love to do that, and I, I'll think about it. I mean, I do have a, a lot of travel um, this year, and there might be some things of interest, but I'm... Um, I am working on another book and I've, it's, it's, I don't know if this is going to be the title and it's a ridiculously large subject, but it's, it's kind of on this question of, you know, what is, what is spiritual genius and what are the, the qualities and components of, of mm-hmm. lives of wisdom and, uh, what are, you know, recurring themes and, and, um, so that's, that's kind of daunting and also, you know, nourishing for me to be working on and, that, that I'm working on that now, and that might be in the next year or two. Um, but I, mm. I, it's been a wonderful conversation for me too. I really want to thank you, Melissa, and I'm, I'm glad that we're now in contact. Oh, I am too. It's just been wonderful speaking with you, and your new book is incredible. I can't thank wait you. to read it. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much, and um, I I look forward to hopefully receiving something from you for Teferit. And in addition to putting it on the website, we'd also like to put something in the journal itself. So um, that would be great. <laughs> great. Okay. Well, thank you, and we'll yeah we'll I'll I'll reach out tomorrow. Okay. Okay. Good night. Good night. Thank you again. Thank you. Bye-bye. Before we close, I'd like to let our listeners know that you can subscribe, donate, or purchase single issues of Teferit Journal at our website, www.teferitjournal.com. As well, there you can find out about our upcoming events. While you're at the site, be sure to also check out the new Teferit Talk book. It's a collection of our best interviews from the first year of Teferit Talk Radio and is available for purchase at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other bookstores, as well as at the website where we offer a free copy monthly through our giveaway. I'd like to thank my executive producer and Teferit publisher, Donna Bearstein, producer and Teferit associate editor, R.J. Jaffries, contributing editor and assistant producer, Udo Hintz, and Michelle Mingen for the work every month and helping the show to run smoothly. Our next interview will be January 29th from 7 to 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with William O'Daly. We hope you'll join us then. And in the meantime, we wish you peace, love, happiness, and fulfilling work. Until then, goodbye.